the reading is taken from the book of Colossians, chapter 2, beginning at verse 20 and going through to chapter 3, verse 6. That's the second chapter of Colossians, verse 20 to verse 6 of chapter 3. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not haste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Right. Hi, everybody. Um, so for those who don't know me, um, I grew up here till I was about 18. Um, then went on a year right with the Baptist Missionary Society and married Anna, who's um, down there. And I've got three little boys that you probably heard in the service who were like four, two and a half and six months. They're the kind of boys who were, they're like, they seem to be kind of be really good at being quiet in songs and then really noisy in prayers. So <laughs> doing things the wrong way around. Uh, so, and then um, so we live in London now and uh, work in a law firm. But uh, my dad sent me an email and uh, said, didn't want to speak on this Sunday, been as I was coming up for the wedding. And I thought, well, I've got a suit for the wedding. And, you know, we've had to... We've had to hire a car, and I hear that petrol costs over, you know, one pound. Is it over a pound or a litre a gallon? I don't know, whatever it is. It's over a pound now, isn't it? So I kind of thought, well, I'll put in this expenses claim at the end. And uh, money. that was a joke for Tom there. Yeah. <laughs> and do that. Anyway, so if you've got a Bible, uh, we're looking at Colossians 2.20. Um, so we're looking at that passage. We'll refer to it other little bits if you've got a Bible. Uh, it might help. And we're going to look at kind of three um, things. So first of all, it's kind of where do we where do we set our hearts? The second one's where should we set our hearts? And then the third one is what's the impact of where we set our hearts? And uh, I'll try not to go on too long. We booked in at the Rosen Ball at 12.30. So <laughs> we, we will finish by 12.15. Okay. So first of all, where do we set our hearts? So um, as far as it goes with the kind of Colossians, they may be kind of not that dissimilar to us, really, because they're kind of doing well in some areas, and then in other areas, they're struggling. So at the very start of Colossians, in Colossians 1, verse 4, um, Paul, you know, thanks God for the Colossians and for their faith and for their love. Um, and then later on in the passage, um, just before um, what Peter read to us, so like 2, verse 16, um, it tells them not to get caught up in certain Jewish festivals. So it talks about new moon festivals and things like that and says don't get caught up in those. And then in the passage um, that was read to us from verse 20 that Peter was reading, 
um, Paul has these commands for the, for the Colossians. He says, you know, about certain Jewish customs. He says, don't handle, um, don't taste, don't touch. And um, he says not to follow those. Now, I thought I'd, it's a bit early in the sermon, but I thought I'd kind of go out on a limb and guess that probably none of us are caught up with kind of these Jewish customs. I think it's fairly safe to say that. And, um, and it's kind of hard for us, I thought, kind of, you know, to think about in our culture, what are the, what are the similar things? Um, that, that might, you know, affect us, certain kind of cultural things that we say, yes, you know, that's, that's good and I'll do that. That actually we, um, um, you know, we, we shouldn't be following. Um, I was just, uh, when I, on Thursday this week, I kind of had my suit on for work and, um, we had each year we do an event, my department for the clients that we've got. And we were, this year it was at Chelsea Flower Show, which to be honest was, is a bit wasted on me. And, um, so I had a kind of, you know, different thing. I was around my work, so I had some kind of base trousers and a jacket. And uh, I had them in like a suit carrier to take to work. And and Reuben said to me, um, Daddy, have you got those trousers in case you wet your pants at work? <laughs> because because to him, that's his worldview. That That's what a second pair of trousers are for. They're, they're, they're for if you, at Little Playgroup, he has his little second trousers for if he wets himself. So I felt like I protested too much. When I... <laughs> When I explain that, no, that's not what they're for. But that's kind of almost what it's like, isn't it? You know, we're in our worldview with our culture and, you know, living in this country and even, you know, the time where we live, where it's hard to see outside it. So we, so we can kind of look back on the people there um, in Colossae and feel a little bit superior in our culture now, where we don't struggle um, with these things. But actually, I don't think they were, you know, that gullible. If we look at the characteristics of what they were struggling with, so this is um, there, there in verse 23, um, what they were struggling with, Paul says they have the appearance of wisdom. So they were following kind of rules that sounded sensible. And then the second aspect is that they involved, um, you know, some, some discipline, um, and it talks about false humility. And I think that's right. We do have this feeling now, don't we, of almost kind of harsh treatment of the body, you know, kind of no pain, no gain, you know, like some kind of diet or exercise regime. When you kind of have those kind of things, you can, yeah, yeah, it must be, it must be good for us if it involves some kind of discipline. But the, the third characteristic is the important one, isn't it? That, that while they were following things that appeared wise, and also there were things that involved some discipline, actually they didn't have any effect on their attitudes or desires. Um, and then just in relating it back to us now, um, a reminder of a book I read about kind of 18 months ago, two years, by someone called Tim Keller. Um, and he's a minister in New York. Uh, I'd recommend him. He's got written a few books and his sermons are on the internet and things. Um, and in a book he wrote called Counterfeit Gods, um, it, it talks about, um, you know, idols that we can have in our own life. Um, and in the same way that the Colossians um, are attracted by things that had the appearance of wisdom. All of us have the temptation to put at the center of our lives something other than God as well. Now, we don't put at the center of our lives, you know, things that are obviously evil or um, stupid. So we don't kind of worship monkeys or anything like that, I don't think. And, um, you know, we put at the center of our lives, you know, good things. Um, but what Tim Keller says in his book is, what the problem is, is you might have something kind of good, but when we put it at the center of our lives, and he says, you know, we make it what he calls an ultimate thing. And by that he means what you do is you have something good, and you give it the place of kind of central importance of life, as in the place where God should be in our lives. 
So that's so, so that particular good thing ends up being the place where all our concerns are. That's how we make all our decisions. And and ultimately, it's about you can have something good, and that can be where we get our our kind of value from. So, and when I'm talking about kind of good things here, I don't just mean. I suppose really what I'm talking about are the kind of, you know, the very, the very best of things really. So it could be something like your spouse. But if you're, um, let's say you made your kind of husband or wife, um, you know, the, the, the center and gave them the place that God has in our lives, what that means is that just at some point you're going to be let down because no relationship is able to, is able to sustain the level of pressure that is the place that God takes in our lives for where we get our ultimate value from. Um, you know, another example might be, you know, children, you know, so, you know, you can look at the Bible and say, yep, spies, children, you know, these are, these are good things. But if we put the children at our centre of our lives, what that means is that what we're doing is when they perform well and, you know, they're doing well at school and get kind of good results and things, it, it can kind of, you know, boost our own ego and we can say, well, yes, you know, look how good I am. My, my children are succeeding. But then you have to ask, well, what happens when they, when things, when things don't go well and, um, you know, they, they, they fail exams and things don't work out. And there can be lots of other examples like that. So, for example, it could be, it could be work could be one, for example, which is good and in the Bible, but it can, but it can have the wrong place. Um, it could be something like money, for example. Um, and Tim Keller says in his book, in terms of identifying kind of what it what it might be that is at the centre of, of kind of our lives. You can ask yourself kind of what are my hopes and dreams? So when you so when you think about your hopes and dreams and your you know aspirations and those things, what is it what is it that's there? Or you know perhaps even better, if you were um, if you're in bed at night and you're there and you're and you and you think, you know, what are the things that you that you worry about? What are your kind of almost your your nightmares? What is it that you think actually if that was taken away or that didn't happen? That'd really kind of panic me and um, and scare me, and I think it's a really helpful kind of thought process to go through. So for me, for example, I went through this and I realised it's my work is the thing in my life that I kind of you know grabs a lot of my kind of attention and focus and where I'm tempted to get my to get my um, to get my value from, and then just just bringing it back from there to the to the passage now, one thing that can be the centre that isn't obvious to spot, um, that might affect us, is a kind of religiousness. So what I what I mean by that is you can have a kind of outward following of rules. So it could be, well, I'm going to go to church on Sundays, and you might have a prayer meeting, you can do that, and help out with lots of church committees and things like that. And doing those things, just those actual physical things, can make us feel valuable and it can go, well, I'm very good and important because I, I help out all these areas in church. But actually, our heart on the inside, it could be completely unchanged. Our God is this religiousness. Um, and I think, um, you know, like the, like the passage here that we've been looking at in Colossians, you know, in verse 23, um, you know, we can be, we can be doing things in church that have, you know, the appearance of wisdom, they involve some self-discipline. We're giving up all our time. But ultimately, our heart can be completely unchanged. Um, and I think, you know, the best example of that is just if we look at the Pharisees um, in Jesus' time, people who were following rules, but actually, you know, their hearts were completely unchanged. Um, so that, that's the first point, kind of, you know, thinking about where do we set our hearts. The next question is where should we set our hearts? Now, I think the natural 
kind of reaction when you when you think about this and we look at our hearts and go, well, where is it, where is my heart kind of focused? What might my idol be? Is is to think, well, you know, to get rid of that religiousness or one of the other things I've mentioned. What I need to do is um, is kind of go, well, I'm not going to think about that. I'm going to, you know, sub- just uh, suppress, you know, the thoughts or whatever it might be that's trying to protect the place of God. But, you know, trying to do that isn't perhaps that too far from verse 23 that we've been talking about of this harsh treatment of the of the body. And um, it won't actually work on its own. And what we actually need to do is to change our focus. And that's to believe that there's something greater than what might um, otherwise be directing our attention. And then if we do that, we'll be able to put things in their proper place. So... Um, just to kind of illustrate that, I kind of thought use a car example. So it's easy when you've not got a car, I think, isn't it, to, you know, use it somewhere. So let's imagine I had a Volkswagen Golf, the kind of, that's the kind of car I aspire to. But, um, let's, let's say that, you know, I had a Golf. And then, but I wanted something a bit more fancy, like, um, you know, a BMW or a Mercedes or something like that. Now, I'll just pause for a moment. Okay, so you picture the scene. I'm driving along in my Golf. I see somebody else coming past in their, you know, BMW uh, or their Merc, and I go, I really don't need that car. I don't need a car. I don't need a BMW or a Merc. You know, I just, uh, you know, I've kind of the Golf I've got is new, fine. You know, it's all okay. And then, you know, that expression kind of might kind of work, but let's just let's just change it slightly. And then imagine that you know I had a relative who, who died. And instead of, you know, inheriting something like a Nissan Note, I inherited, sorry. <laughs> that was only for my granddad, but he's not listening. Let's, let's say that in, <laughs> let's say that instead of inheriting a Nissan Note, <laughs> sorry, I get the gears now, I inherited a Rolls Royce. Unlikely, I think. But anyway, so imagine I've inherited a Rolls Royce. And I'm driving along in my Rolls Royce. What would I next think when I saw a BMW? I'd be looking at the little person in the BMW. I'd probably feel a little bit sorry for them. A little, little tear. I'd maybe wind down my window at the lights, give them a £20. <laughs> you know, just to kind of keep them going. Because, because, because if I've got something better, I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel that, that need anymore or that aspiration for that BMW, would I not? I've got a Rolls Royce. It's, it's no big deal. And I think that's what that passage is telling us here. So in, in Colossians, um, chapter three, it's, it's, um, it's telling us just to have the right focus. So it says, so it's talking about, you know, since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. And it also talks about, as well as setting your hearts, set your mind. On things above. So, you know, to, to understand that, to have our focus on Christ, you know, has massively helped me because it takes away, um, you know, the burdens we have of how we, of how we deal with our kind of issues and getting things in the right place. Because if we focus on Christ, you know, that enables us to get everything else, you know, to fall into place. Just what my, my, you know, kind of BMW Rolls Royce example. So if we, if we put Christ 
at the, at the center and focus on that, then that means that family and work and those things fall into place. It doesn't mean, you know, that we, that we work less by any means. It might mean that we work more, but what it, what it's doing is it's about having everything in their, in their right place and their right, um, perspective. And for me, you know, it's about kind of, you know, just daily spending time, you know, reading the Bible and praying and spending time with God because it just is so easy to forget, isn't it? Just in the world we live in about having that, that kind of focus on Christ. And, you know, we need to understand our true, you know, status before God. So verses one and two are on, are talk about having the right, um, you know, focusing on Christ. And then three and four talk about our status. Uh, before, we, before we look at those, just briefly from earlier on in chapter 2, verses, um, you know, 13 and 14 in chapter 2, what they talk about is that God took the initiative and we've been made alive with Christ and he's forgiven our sins and Christ has triumphed over all powers and authorities. And then in chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, it talks about um, our life being hidden with Christ in God and also about... Um, how we will appear in glory um, with Christ. I can't think of any bigger way of, you know, talking about that change when we become a Christian. They're talking from, you know, death to life that Paul talks about. It is just the most kind of dramatic um, change that you could ever have. Um, and then as far as, you know, when it talks about being hidden with Christ in God and then appearing in glory, you know, the best analogy I could think of was a caterpillar. And I just feel like, you know, if you're left today going, I am a caterpillar, it doesn't sound that you know, great really, does it? It's not like saying I'm a lion or anything like that. But stick with me. So it was, I think, I think we're like caterpillars because, you know, caterpillars turn into butterflies, don't they? And so in a way you could say, you could say, well, a caterpillar's a butterfly waiting to happen. Does that make sense? A little bit. A little bit. So a caterpillar is like a butterfly waiting to happen. So, and in God's eyes, you know, we're the, we're the equivalent of, of a butterfly now because that's our real identity in, uh, in Jesus. Just let me read verses three and four again and just see if you can pick this up. So it says, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So we've got a status that we can't see. And then it says, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So we know that it's there. There's a glory, uh, and that's our status and what we're going to be. Um, you know, like a butterfly, but at the moment it's hidden. So we're a bit like a caterpillar, aren't we? We're really a butterfly just kind of waiting to happen. So we've looked at where do we set our hearts. We've looked at where should we set our hearts. And then the last part, we're just going to look at what's the, what's the impact. Well, first five... Um, talks about putting to death um, certain sins. So it talks about sexual sexual immorality, impurity, lust, um, evil thoughts, and um, people can kind of look at Christianity and just think, well, I you know read verses like that and say, well, it just seems like a lot of you know rules and things that we're that we're kind of not meant to not meant to do. But you know, if we set our hearts and minds on Christ and understand what Jesus has done for us. You know, it changes our attitude to, to those, um, to those sins as well and what we, and makes us want to, you know, um, change how we act. So it's not just about a kind of religious obedience. 
Um, so just to, just to end with kind of, you know, this illustration, you have to imagine, you know, a young couple, you know, they're going out. And then, uh, you know, one day the guy proposes to the girl and, you know, she says, she says, yes. Okay. I will marry you. Very romantic. And then, you know, what happens next? The next day, do you think the guy goes, ah, forget that then. I don't need to bother buying all those presents. I can just, you know, she said yes. You know, we're engaged. She's going to marry me. I can just, you know, forget all that, you know, being nice and things like that. Well, hopefully he doesn't. <laughs> no, you don't. So when you, so when you propose to someone and the person says yes, actually, you know, what should happen in a relationship is at that point, they go, they've said yes, they love me, they want to marry me. I'm going to do everything I can to make the other person happy. And you try even harder, don't you? To try and, um, and make the person happy because they decided that they're willing, you know, to marry you. And, and that's, and that's like, you know, what our response should be to Jesus, isn't it? So in this passage, you know, we understand that God took the initiative and he forgave our sins. So actually, you know, our, our response to change how we live is a response to his love for us. So it's not about a lot of burdens and obligations. It's saying, well, he loved me. And just like in that kind of young romantic couple, we're kind of going, actually, you've done something amazing for me. We instinctively and out of love want to, want to act in a different way towards him. And, um, and that will, and that will change our hearts. So it's completely different to how a non-Christian might look at it and just see it as a kind of religiousness. You know, it's not a religiousness at all and a burden. It's a response to his love for us. Um, so just to summarize, so the, so the first one was, where do we set our hearts? And we, we often set our hearts on things that have the appearance of wisdom. They're often good things, but what we do is they become bad things when we, when we give them ultimate status in our lives. Um, and then secondly, you know, where should we set our hearts? We set our hearts on Christ and we remember that we're like butterflies. And then lastly, what's the impact? And uh, for that, you know, we do what God wants out of love in response to his love for us. And that means that it doesn't become a burden.